This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello and welcome to Front Office Features. I am Rob Crane and today our guest is the Cuban Missile. I mean my former college baseball teammate, teammate uh, Larson Segredal, who is the executive director of the Valero Texas Open, a PGA event. Uh, Larson and I were teammates uh, back in my Springfield College days. Uh, and by the way, Springfield College has gotten so much good PR from this podcast. I should be getting a sponsorship from them. My next call tomorrow. Anyway, Larson talks about his role as the executive director of the PGA event, one that occurs the week before the Masters. Larson describes his role with the tournament. Basically, he's like the CEO of the tournament in charge of all the business operations. Plus, he talks a lot about his relationships with uh, the players, especially top-tier ones, and how they've grown over the years to make the uh, Valero Texas Open one of the premier destinations uh, in all of golf, especially the week before the Masters. We talk about how he took a total flyer to go to Mexico uh, to start a golf tournament there. Ended up being one of the best things for him. Uh, We also talk about, uh, actually, he tells me a quote that says, don't be afraid of opportunity. I love that quote, and uh, we'll discuss that in detail uh, about what he means by that. Um, And anyway, I had a ton of fun with Larson. Uh, We caught up. We laughed. Uh, it was a blast. So I hope you enjoy the uh, the interview with Larson Segredal, who is the executive director of the Valero Texas Open. Uh, but by the way, before you go and listen, go to LinkedIn, go to Instagram, go to Facebook, go to Twitter, search Front Office Features, and give a follow. We post a lot of great content on there, and uh, we're having some fun with it. And also, go to your little uh, Apple app or whatever, the, however you're listening. Hit five-star review. Do it now. Well, um, after you've done that, I appreciate it. And uh, without further ado, here is our guest tonight, uh, Larson Segredal, the executive director of the Valero Texas Open. Hello and welcome to Front Office Features. I am Rob Crane and our guest today is Larson Segredal. Larson is the executive director of the Valero Texas Open and former college teammate of mine at Springfield College. Uh, Larson, long time no talk, buddy. Yes. Yeah, indeed. Good to good to be with you, man. Thanks for uh, thinking of me for this. Oh, no, I, I, I had to. One, uh, if I could play golf seven days a week, I would. And then there's a guy who works at a golf course, uh, you know, uh, er, 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 nearly every day. So I was like, I got to talk to Larson, man. I haven't talked to him in a long time. <laughs> the funny thing is, is that uh, even though I pretty much eat, sleep and breathe golf in my professional life, 
uh, if you can believe it, for one reason or another, I've, I've literally played two rounds of golf this year. <laughs> well, that's incredible. How could that even happen? <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's a big, uh, big misnomer that just because you work in the golf industry, you, you actually get out and, uh, and play a fair bit. I, I have plenty of opportunities to get out and play some incredible golf courses, and, and one day I'll probably kick myself that I didn't take more advantage of, of it. Um, but, uh, you know, for now, family at home and uh, free time away from golf is uh, few and far between. So uh, I've got enough golf in my life. I don't, I don't need to go out and hack, <laughs> hack it around for a few hours on the weekends. Yeah, that's, prob- that, that's probably true. But talk about a, uh, a jealous man on the other end of this uh, discussion is – Holy mackerel! I could. Uh, I want to go play. It's like you know, it's November uh, in New England, and it's like fifty-five degrees. I was thinking about canceling our interview today just so I could play <laughs> go break off. That, that probably would have been better time spent. <laughs> <laughs> it should it probably, but uh, damn it, that's all right. Uh, we'll have a good time today. So, sure. uh, Larson, um, I, uh, you know. Well, you left Springfield College. I remember you being in in uh, into in golf and kind of uh, you know internships and that kind of stuff. But then you go and you're the youngest PGA director ever at like 24 years old. How the hell did you go from running sprints with me at the baseball field at Springfield to running a PGA event? Yeah, it's uh, it is kind of crazy when you frame it that way. Um, <laughs> uh, but you know what? I mean, I think as as uh, as with anything in in our industry, I think all industries probably, but particularly in sports, I think it's all about building your experience, right? And so, um, I was really fortunate in that while I was at Springfield. Um, you know, we got a lot of exposure through through our classes, through the athletics department, um, to be involved in a variety of, of different activities, events, setting up events. Um, you know, I was very involved on campus with uh, student government and uh, and NSO and all that sort of stuff. So, uh, new student orientation for non Springfield folks. Um, and so, you know, all of that experience really helped, but, um, but then the focus that Springfield puts on internships, I think is huge. And to be honest with you, I'm always sort of scratching my head when I see some of these sports management programs out there that, uh, really have no internship focus. They don't require their students to go out and do internships as part of their coursework. And I just don't really get how that works, um, and how that's in the student's best interest. So, you know, I, I managed to do um, a couple of internships uh, between my sophomore and junior year. Uh, I went and did an internship uh, with what is now the Travelers Championship, um, the PGA Tour event in Hartford. Uh, at the time, it was the Cannon Greater Hartford Open um, and spent pretty much my entire summer uh, working as an operations intern uh, with that event. And uh, it was just an incredible experience, you know, being a baseball guy. Uh, my whole life, uh, you know, I, I went into sports management thinking one day I'd I'd probably be doing what you were doing, which is you know working in the front office of a of a team somewhere, uh, and and somewhere in baseball, and um, you know never did I imagine uh, that I would you know embark on a on a career in the golf industry. Even though I always loved golf, I'd always played it recreationally with my dad and all that. I'd always been uh, sort of close to it, but. Never did I think it would lead to a career. And, and uh, sure enough, that internship in Hartford that summer really 
uh, opened my eyes to something new and different and exciting. Um, and I just knew that I wanted to explore it more. So uh, I got another internship um, my senior year uh, with Greg Norman's organization uh, running his PGA Tour event in Naples, Florida. So I spent first semester of my senior year down in Naples. I remember we missed you. We missed you in fall ball. Now in that you were uh, exactly. that you're bringing up, I yeah, I barely, exactly. I barely made it through to and from the bullpen without you there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of a lot of grab ass played out in that, <laughs> out in those years. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, but um, but but yeah. So you know, it was a good uh, it was good experience building your resume, meeting meeting people in the industry, making connections. And trying to set yourself up for for something, uh, you know, after after graduation day came. So, you know, I saw um, in your I saw you did an interview with the uh, Sports Business Journal, and you said, "Don't be afraid of opportunity." What did you mean by that, and how did that lead you to Mexico? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So uh, you know, this path that I've been on is has been ever changing, and I've, I've moved a lot. And I think what I meant by that is is sometimes the 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 best move forward or the best move to progress your career um, can be really scary and really daunting, and you may you might not have expected uh, you know something like that to to you know, present itself to you. Um, and sometimes I find that, you know, people have low expectations of themselves, right? They, they yeah. don't, they don't necessarily feel like they're good enough, they're worthy enough. Um, and, you know, I think what I meant by that is, is, you know, don't be afraid of the opportunity, put yourself out there, put yourself in uncomfortable situations, and give yourself the chance to rise to the occasion. And I think more often than not, um, people, uh, will be able to rise to the occasion and, and, um, and really advance their career in meaningful ways by, by taking risks, taking those opportunities as they come. Um, and, you know, and, and then seeing where it goes from there. So describe what did you do in Mexico? Yeah. So, uh, you know, so I'd, I'd worked for Greg Norman, uh, for about, about three years, three or four years post-college in Naples, um, and his production company who I worked for was, was in a bit of a growth mode. And so, um, the PGA tour was uh, talking to a new group, uh, a new resort development in Playa del Carmen, Mexico, which is about 30 minutes South of Cancun, right? Uh, Playa del Carmen. Carmen. That's where I went on my honeymoon. There you go. It's a great spot for honeymoons and, and golf <laughs> tournaments. So <laughs> yeah, right? uh, I enjoy both of those things. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so yeah, so honestly, um, it, it was sort of a matter of being in the right place at the right time. Uh, I was young, ambitious, had enough experience uh, to be dangerous. Um, and, you know, I think one of the things that benefited me uh, is I, you know, my mom is Cuban. Um, so I grew up speaking Spanish. 
Um, so I called you. Your nickname was the Cuban Missile. I, I wasn't going to say it. I, to say <laughs> I was coming <laughs> for it. First thing, I was going to introduce you as. I uh, I today today wasn't is the. I offer that up myself. <laughs> that that, that would have been best. Like, uh, I'm sorry, Rob. My name is the Cuban <laughs> Missile. Uh, and I'd like you to address me that way. Yeah, yeah please get it right next time. Uh, so, uh, so, anyway, so, you know, I grew up speaking Spanish, and, uh, you know, I, I think it just sort of worked. You know, as as we were looking around our our sort of young organization, um, lean organization, you know, I happen to be the guy with the right amount of experience and who could go into a new market like Mexico, speaking Spanish and and try to navigate the waters and really, you know, with a blank canvas, try to create something totally new and, and different on the PGA Tour. So, yeah, so it uh at uh, about 24 years of age, I think it was right, just maybe right after my, my 25th birthday. So uh, I, I moved down to Mexico all by myself, uh, opened an office down in Playa del Carmen, hired an entire staff uh, to, to sort of go shoulder to shoulder with me on, on uh, building this event from scratch. And, uh, you know, I, I went down there nervous as hell, uh, didn't know what to expect. Um, and you know, I, I think my mindset at the end was just sort of like, you know what, go down, give it a try. Worst that can happen is it doesn't work out and I come back and you know, I, I figure out my next step and you know, whatever. Love that. Love that. And sure enough, you know, six and a half years later, I had put on six tournaments down there and, uh, built it up into uh, into something really special that uh, continues to to hold a, a a good place in my heart. So that's unbelievable. I love that you took the risk because we uh, we've talked a lot about it. what's the worst that can happen. Well, you all know, you could figure it out, and uh, it and if you give it the old uh, give it your full effort, uh, more likely than not, it's going to work out in your favor. And uh, it definitely uh, did in uh, in this case in Playa del Carmen. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, I think the other thing that that people maybe don't take enough stock of is, um, you know, the support that that comes with you. You know, in my case, I had the support of Greg Norman's organization behind me, the PGA Tour. You know, there's a lot of there were a lot of people that that were around me, surrounding me, making sure that, hey, look, this isn't like this isn't going to fail. Like we're, we're not setting anybody up to fail here. And so, yeah. Why the hell would you put the effort in? Yeah, exactly. Right. And so, um, so I think if you, if you go in there feeling like, Hey, look, all these people got my back, then it gives you the confidence to sort of take that first step and, and, and then do what you need to do. I know you grew up with it. Um, but, uh, I always thought if I could learn a second language, Spanish would be the one, mm-hmm. um, how, how much of a uh, uh, how you know how much of an advantage has it been to you in your career uh, to be bilingual? I just think it's an incredible advantage. Am I right? I would have I would have never guessed that it would be the advantage that it has proven to be. Um, obviously, you know I, I don't think that opportunity in Mexico comes up if I'm not fluent in Spanish. So for starters, there. Um, but even in my in my current role here in San Antonio, Texas, which you know by the way has a significant Latino uh, community, um, you know it's the fastest growing language in our country. It's the fastest growing demographic in our country. Um, you know, from a marketing perspective, it has allowed us to engage. Um, you know, Univision, Telemundo, you know, all of the the Latin media outlets. 
um, and you know allowed us to tell our message, share our message to a community that, quite honestly, we wouldn't otherwise be reaching out to. And so, uh, it's been a hugely beneficial uh, tool for me, um, and I think it allows us to grow in ways that uh, you know that that maybe some other events or other entities here. Uh, in the marketplace wouldn't wouldn't necessarily be able to take advantage of. Yeah, I, I, I thoroughly agree that uh, it's such an advantage uh, to be able to be bilingual, especially in Spanish. Uh, well, in your world and in, in the baseball world, too, you, uh, you can imagine the number of uh, no doubt. Uh, Latino, Latino influence in baseball, too. So it's, uh, uh, you know, it's an incredible advantage. And I wish I could maybe one day I'll figure out how to learn it. You, never you, too you, late, man. It's it, never it, too late. Get, yeah. uh, get yourself on Rosetta stone or something and uh, start picking it up. I, I'm going to, I'm going to have to, uh, I'm going to have to guys like you are making me look bad. So I gotta, I, I, I gotta do it. Um, so there's a little education process. I'm hoping you can take me through, um, as your role as the executive director, um, what is your relationship with getting players i'm really uneducated about this uh how do golfers are invited how do they come to your event i mean your events right before the masters yep. um can you take walk us through your relationship with the players because i literally have no earthly idea sure yeah no it's a it's a big part of my job is uh sort of you know the player recruiting process if you will um and so I spend a fair bit of time on it year round. It, it is a year round process. Um, and as with anything else, whether it's sales or, or anything, it, it's relationships, right? Amen. And so, Amen. Um, you know, so it's how do you build relationships with people? And, and that's what I've been uh, fortunate enough to be able to do for, uh, you know, now a long time since, since my days at Mayakoba and now here in, in San Antonio. And so, um, you know, it's staying in touch. It's a text message. It's a phone call. It's an email. You know, nowadays there are so many ways to communicate with people. It's, uh, you know, you figure out sort of what works best for, uh, for the individuals and, and sort of, you know, use those avenues. Um, as much as I can, I try to try to be out face to face with them. I'll, I'll travel probably to about a half dozen PGA tour events throughout the year. Um, and just get face to face with them and shoot the shit with them and hang out. And I'm allowed to say shoot the shit on podcast. You can right? say okay. shoot the shit as much as you'd like. We Great. can put so, it on repeat if you want. The podcast, we can do it how we want to. Sure, I don't know if you had to. <laughs> no, you're um, good, buddy. So, yeah, just get face to face, hang out with them, um, you know, check in with them. How are, how are they doing? How's their families doing? You know, get to know their wife's name, their kids' names. Uh, you know, spend time with the caddies. The caddies are an important part of, of that player, you know, dynamic in the relationship. And so, um, you know, I, I tend to be try to make it a little bit more social with them. That way, when I do come around to ask them about the Valero Texas Open and whether or not we're on their schedules, um, you know, it's it's not the oh geez, here comes Larson again. He's just gonna <laughs> he's, he's gonna nag me about the Valero Texas Open. Um, hopefully, it's oh hey, yeah, here comes Larson. I saw him a couple weeks ago, or I saw him last month, and yeah, it's great. Um, and then you know when I when it really starts getting down to it, then it's you know it's less of a, a of an obvious ask of Valero Texas Open. You know what are you doing? So. Yeah, that's uh, the, you're so right. Everything's based upon uh, relationships. So, if I was, if memory serves correct, and I was doing some research, the Valero Texas Open wasn't 
when you first got there wasn't the uh, great event. You've you've been able to build it over the course of the years. Do you think big names like you? I mean, you had Jordan Spieth and Rory McIlroy and Matt Kuchar and Ricky Fowler and Jim Furyk. Um, do you think that those guys, types of guys, getting there has helped? Uh, was that one of the main reasons for the? Uh, the quote-unquote turnaround of the Valero Texas Open? Yeah, I, I think it, it all starts with the players, right? And so, um, you know, when you're able to attract the bigger names, the more marketable names, then you're going to attract more spectators. When you attract more spectators, you're going to attract more sponsors who want to get in front of those eyeballs. Um, and so it's, you know, it's sort of this snowball effect, but it all starts with the players in my mind. Um, you know, we're blessed here in San Antonio. Valero is an unbelievable partner. They provide incredible resources um, in support of this event and, and the San Antonio community. So um, they've given us the, the leash to, to go out and, and do some things to really enhance the player experience. Um, and, you know, we're not allowed to play, pay appearance fees on the PGA Tour. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what you do for one player, you have to do for all players. And, and so we try to maximize um, the opportunities here in San Antonio and, and really show them a good time. All of them, all 144 players with their families and, and caddies. We want to roll out the red carpet, make them all feel great about the experience here. And regardless of how they played inside the ropes for four days, we want them leaving on Sundays saying, man, what a great week this was. I want to come back next year. And so, so- yeah. Uh, 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 how did you how did you get like a guy like Jordan Spieth to come the first time? And then is it just a relationship that keeps him back? But how do you get him the first time? Right. Yeah, you show him a great yeah. time. You roll out the red carpet. But at one point he wasn't playing the uh, Valero Texas yeah. Open. And now he is. How do you get them the first time? So, you know, interestingly, you know, a guy like a guy like Jordan, um, who who people had seen him coming for years, right? I mean, he was an incredible talent uh, in his in his teens, on junior golf tours, all that sort of stuff. So he was somebody that people had been eyeing for a long time. And so one, one thing that PGA Tour events, one tool that we have sort of in our quiver um, is our exemptions, player exemptions. And so we've got four unrestricted exemptions that we can essentially offer out to anybody we want. Um, and so a guy like Jordan back in the day, uh, I think 2012 was his first year that he played here. Um, he had no eligibility on the PGA tour. He wasn't a PGA tour member. Uh, as a matter of fact, I think he was still an amateur back then. Um, and, uh, and we gave him an, an exemption into the event. Um, you know, and so, you know, from a, from an exemption standpoint, you're trying to you know, place bets really on, you know, when you're, when you're talking about the younger guys, because there's a lot of veterans that you'll give exemptions to who maybe have lost their standing or been battling injury. They're trying to get back into the swing of things. Um, But when you're looking at sort of this younger crop of players, um, you're using those exemptions in a way of to, to place a bet and say, we think this guy's going to make something of himself. And so we want to start developing that relationship early and hopefully build some loyalty um, that keeps them coming back year after year. And then does it have a lot to do with like their friends? So if Rory's friends with, uh, I mean, if Spieth is friends with Rory and he's friends with Kuchar and he's friends with Ricky Fowler, do like the 
you know, does the wolf pack travel together or is it really? Uh... I don't think so. I think anymore. Okay. I think it's it's largely, you know, based on personal preference. Um, you know, I think everybody has the way that they want to set up their particular schedule. Some guys like playing the week before a major championship. Some guys don't like playing the week before a major. And you guys are the week right before the Masters, right? Right before. So they go from San Antonio to Augusta. Yeah. Got it. Um, and so, you know, you kind of know, I mean, look, Tiger Woods is never going to play this event. He's never played the week before a major championship. He never will play the week before a major championship. So you just sort of know that outright, um, you know, um, but there's a lot of guys like Jordan, like Ricky, um, that, uh, that do, uh, you know, want to be sort of fine tuning their game the week before a major championship. And, um, and San Antonio is a great place for them to be able to do that. That's uh, that's really I, I give you so much credit for being able to uh, to do that and really uh, turn uh, turn around the uh, the Valero Texas Open like you have and your role is really like CEO of this business. Um, can you educate us on kind of what your day to day looks like? Um, <laughs> what what takes up most of your day though? I assume that like everybody's it's different each day. But yeah, like, what's yeah. I mean, what's your I- what's your real role? That's one of the best things about my my job is that no day is the same. Um, and so, you know, as it relates to the Valero Texas Open, you're, you're right. I'm, I'm sort of, you know, the, the head of a small business, if you will. Um, and so I oversee a, a staff of nine people in, in addition to myself. So total of 10 people that are working on the Valero Texas Open year round. Um, and I've got, uh, you know, two people in marketing, three people in sales, uh, a client services person, um, an administrative person, a finance person. Um, and so managing that team, uh, you know, occupies a, a good bit of my time, but I'm, I'm involved in everything. Um, you know, we're heavily involved in figuring out the, the marketing strategy. What's our messaging campaign going to be? Um, from a charitable component, you know, we're the number one uh, fundraiser, charitable fundraiser on the PGA Tour. Hey, yeah. congratulations. Yeah, no, it's outstanding. This year we, we raised uh, more than $15 million for charity. Holy cow. Event, which was outstanding. Um, so, uh, you know, so that's a big part of our business is, is working with the organizations that we support um, as part of that fundraising effort. Um, you know, obviously, you know, everybody's a, a seller on our team. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Even, I've got three dedicated sellers, but everybody's a seller, right? Yeah, Everybody, yeah. Everybody's got to use whatever resources and relationships they have to, to try uh, to drive revenue. Lucchino has a uh, Larry Lucchino, the former CEO of the Boston Red Sox. He has a he has a phrase that he tells us every day. Todos somos vendedores. So what the <laughs> hell does that mean, Larry? And I, you know what it means. It says we're all salespeople. That that is uh, that's absolutely right, and uh, and a good way to run. Hold on, so it's, hold on. All right, so it is right. Todos somos vendedores means we're all salespeople. Yes, yes. That is all right, right. so he, he wasn't bullshitting me this you know, entire you time. You know more Spanish than you give yourself credit for. Right? <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so you know, a little bit of everything. You know, the 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 finances. Uh, you know, the buck stops with me. So. Uh, managing the budget, managing, uh, you know, 
just you know bottom line revenues and and uh, and and net profit and uh, how much we're able to give away to, to charity at the end of it all. I mean, that all, that all falls on me. So, um, so yeah, you know, it's, it's pretty diverse, um, you know, what I'm able to, to work on, um, from a day to day and then separately, which we haven't really talked a little much about, but, um, you know, so I, I work for a company now called Wasserman. Yep. Uh, and so, uh, Wasserman is probably the largest, uh, sports, uh, marketing, athlete representation, corporate consulting firm in the world. Uh, we've got over 1,500 athletes across all major sports that we represent. We've got a corporate consulting practice that, you know, represents the likes of American Express and Pepsi and Nationwide and, you know, tons of household name brands. And then sort of the third piece is is the event production side. Um, so, not only, you know, the ability to focus on Valero Texas Open, but then to have this much larger organization that I'm a part of and to be able to, to get involved in some of their business uh, aspects, the, the larger Wasserman business relationships um, and projects and initiatives and all that has been has been really exciting for me. Um, so, what were some of the larger projects that uh, you kind of got on with Wasserman? Yeah. So, uh, you know, some different things, um, you know, we, uh, some of it in golf, some of it outside of golf, um, you know, just from a, a consulting standpoint, we, we work with a handful of products, uh, that, uh, you know, we're trying to just help them navigate, uh, the sports landscape to expand their, their consumer base, uh, position their brand a little bit better within sports. Um, and, you know, and with our expertise specific to golf, um, you know, so, uh, you know, it, it's really more on the consulting side of things, um, yeah. you know, helping them with their strategies, helping them, uh, with their brand positioning, getting them out there, uh, in, in a different way, uh, in front of the consumers they want to be in front of. So it was very cool. Um, and you work for Greg Norman for a, a very long time. Would you consider Greg a mentor of yours? You know, Greg is uh, one of the best people to to be able to to be close to, to learn from. Um, he certainly had a significant influence in in my professional life. Um, work having worked for him for twelve years, twelve plus years, um, and you know the way he approached his golf. Uh, really sort of translated into his business. He was always an aggressive golfer. Um, and, you know, his motto, attack life, um, <laughs> you know, sort of sort of applies to everything that he's involved in, whether it's uh, a clothing company, his wine label, um, you know, you name it, uh, his golf course design business. You know, it, it was it was exciting to be uh, associated with him for as long as I was, and uh, you know he had some incredible uh, growth uh, within his organization during my time there, and and to see him operate um, and how he interacts with uh, with his clients, because ultimately that's what they are. Anybody that he does a deal with becomes his client. Um, you know, if they've got a an ambassadorial relationship with him, I mean. There's nobody better at uh, at delivering for 
a sponsor than than Greg. I mean, he's just off the charts good. So to be able to to sort of see it be on the front lines for all that, um, it was an incredible learning experience. Uh, you know, at an early age for me in my career. So that's pretty cool. And you worked for them for like a, a dozen years too, right? Yeah, yeah, pretty much, pretty much from uh, the time I graduated from from college until uh, 2015. So yeah, 12, 12 years, pretty much right on the nose. That's very cool. So yeah. when you're, uh, many of our listeners, uh, they're just kind of getting started in their careers. And you had Greg, you know, the people uh, with Greg Norman uh, as your mentor, you know, um, what kind of advice do you have with people that are just getting st- uh, just getting started, whether they're they're junior, senior in college, or they're, they're kind of year one, year two, year three um, in their sports careers? What kind of advice do you have for them? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say um, don't shy away from experience, right? I mean, I, and and I, yeah, one of the things I I am often frustrated with um, is that people come out of school with degrees a lot of people lately just because the economy you know hadn't been great we're you know going and sort of getting that that secondary uh, master's degree Um, and I feel like they were coming out of those educational experiences with very high expectations in terms of okay now I'm going to get a job it's going to be a high paying job and I'm going to get exactly what I want and all these sorts of things and and that's just not how it, how the world works and you know right. any any industry let alone sports and you know sports has sort of this um you know this glamorous feel to it even though very little of what we do is glamorous <laughs> on the day on <laughs> the day to day that's the truth um and so you know I, I there's a there's a long line of people that want to want to find a job in sports and you know we've been fortunate enough to to carve a niche out for ourselves but I think it's through hard work. I think it's through patience. Um, I think it's through gaining experience where and when you can. That might even mean volunteering. That might mean doing a, a, a you know a few more internships than you maybe anticipated you would do right out of school. Um, that might mean having to take a couple of you know six month uh, you know sort of seasonal position opportunities. Uh, when when you get them and and just be patient, be focused on on what your end game, you know, what you want your end game to be and don't let this sort of glamorous vision of of what sports is and where you want to be sort of get in the way of your progress. Um, so that's what I would say. Yeah, I, I thoroughly agree. I like that you have the be focused on what you want to go do, right? If you want to go do finance, don't go take a sales job to go do finance, right? Go find a way to go through, uh, to finance. Um, That's right. The other thing that you said uh, that I thought was good is go volunteer. You know mm-hmm. what kind of events have a boatload of volunteers, Larson? <laughs> I can think of one type of event. <laughs> you can think of one type of event. You may work one every year. That's right. Yeah, volunteers are the lifeblood of the PGA Tour, and there are there are forty eight PGA Tour events out there, uh, who all of which have probably we. I mean, we have more than two thousand volunteers here in San Antonio. Two thousand volunteers. Two thousand volunteers donating more than forty eight thousand hours of their time. Um, to make this thing happen every year. And so, uh, yeah, one, 100%, there are plenty of volunteer opportunities uh, to, to get out there, gain experience, 
build connections, right? Um, right. You know, just meet people in the industry. Uh, and uh, you never know what sort of doors might uh, might be open from those experiences. Um, I was interested in this, and I should have asked this before. Um, you know, what does your schedule look like kind of, uh, you know, I'll, I'll call it, I don't know, a few months before, mm-hmm. then like right before the event, the event, and then like right after, and then kind of right after. It just must have like a very interesting schedule. Yeah, it's it's definitely different. Um, so for us, uh, you know, everything is this sort of gradual crescendo, uh, you know, as you get closer to to the event. And so, you know, really, you know, the we start to ramp up really probably around September where things start to get busier um, and activity just, you know, becomes a little bit more frequent. Um and then as you get in, so our event is the first week of April. Uh, so as you get into the new year, really from January through the event, it starts to get very, very busy. And the sense of urgency really starts to mount. Um, and then we'll, we'll get into a stretch where, you know, I'll probably go about 45 days uh, without a day off. Um, yeah. So, uh, so we'll probably go about 45 days without a day off. Prior to that, we'll probably have, um, you know, maybe about three weeks where we're working six days a, a week. Uh, and then we move into that seven days a week uh, for about a month and a half. Um, tournament week itself is, uh, is pretty much 24-7. Um, we actually, we're fortunate, our, our venue, TPC San Antonio, which is incredible, by the way, if you're ever in San Antonio, you should check it out. Well, I was saying you're, you've got four slots that you can just use to input anybody that you want to <laughs> yeah, go play, right? Exactly. So I, I anticipate my letter at some point, right? I got to go uh, practice. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely uh, keep you up. <laughs> on I'm right. on the list. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm on the list for consideration. Absolutely. So, uh, <laughs> so we've got a thousand room JW Marriott right on property, which is incredible. And so our staff will actually move on site for for that week. And uh, oh, that's great! We're, we're working crazy hours, so uh, so having a hotel room right there on property makes it a little bit more palatable. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll get through the the trophy ceremony on on Sunday after a, a week chock full of events, um, and uh, and Monday you literally go from you know, for a span of months, sort of ramping up till you're at, you know, sort of your peak speed and adrenaline and everything else. And literally on Monday after the tournament ends, it all comes to a screeching halt. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, you're sort of sitting around looking at each other and there's still a lot of work to be done, obviously, to wrap things up. But, uh, but that urgency is sort of gone, uh, you know, yeah. sort of looking at each other saying, all right, well now what do we do? <laughs> yeah. Right. I've seen you, you, I've seen my colleagues a lot. So I could go see somebody else now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a good time to, to go back and reacquaint yourselves with your family and your kids and all that <laughs> right. sort of stuff and just, you know, catch a breather and, but ultimately just sort of reflect on, um, you know, the incredible thing that you were, you were just a part of, um, and to be able to look back and, you know, hopefully, uh, have a tremendous amount of satisfaction for, for what just transpired. 
That's awesome. Uh, it's it's just it's like a a, a baseball season in a week. <laughs> and yeah, uh, <laughs> pretty much, it. yeah. I mean, it, it is kind of funny. I mean, everybody normally, you know, when I'm meeting people for the first time, you know, you get sort of the typical uh, intro questions, and one of the first questions is, "Oh, well, what do you what do you do for a living?" And then usually after I tell them, the second question is. Well, what do you do the other 51 weeks of the year? (laughs) (laughs) Get ready for it. (laughs) People don't realize, you know, they just think that this is the circus that sort of rolls in the town. Rolls in the town. You know, the tents pop up and then, and then it all rolls out. And I get that all, I get that all the time. So what do you do in the off season? I say, uh, put a roof over my head. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. They, uh, yeah. So one last question. Sure. What do you think golf as an industry can do better to kind of help attract the next generation uh, of that young sports executive that wants to work in golf and, uh, you know, be the next uh, Cuban missile Larson Tegredal? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, um, you know, I, I would say golf is becoming – golf isn't your grandfather's game anymore. PGA Tour golf isn't your grandfather's game anymore. Um, I would say that the PGA Tour is rapidly becoming a leader in innovation. Um, and, you know, particularly as, you know, you'll see in the next, uh, probably in the next six months where uh, the PGA Tour is going to be rolling out their newly negotiated uh, TV rights deals. Um, I think a lot of that is going to be focused on the digital platforms, live streaming. Uh, you know, for the first time this year, the Players' Championship is going to live stream every single shot. Really? That's a lot of that's a lot of shots that you Holy cow, to, yeah. people are going to be able to consume. And so it's becoming a much more consumable product. Um, and so I think that alone is going to just build greater familiarity with PGA Tour golf, with the sport, with the with the athletes uh, in our sport build greater affinities uh, and hopefully build more familiarity with the events. And, and, you know, like we were talking about earlier, there, there are 46 PGA tour events out there. Uh, There's another, I think 30 or so uh, senior tour PGA tour champions events, you know, out throughout the country. And then a host of what is now called the corn Ferry tour, which is sort of the developmental uh, tour. So across those three tours, you'll be hard pressed not to find a community that is within a short driving distance of a professional golf tournament. Um, and so, you know, I, I think it's, um, it's a great opportunity for people to just sort of see what's in their backyard, gain some exposure to a different type of sporting event. Um, you know, golf is becoming much more like a festival, uh, golf tournaments, there's concerts associated, there's fan engagement activities, the golf really has become completely secondary. It just, you know, we're, we're throwing a big ass party and Oh, by the way, there happen to be 144 of the world's best golfers playing here in your backyard, but it's all about the social experience. It's all about the, uh, the fan engagement. Um, and, and I think, I think golf will start to separate itself from some of the other sports um, by continuing to move in that direction. 
Yeah, and I think Galt's got a lot of good things going for it too. As we talked earlier in this conversation about the young players, the young players are like exciting. Uh, they're personable. Uh, there's a lot of good things going on uh, in the game of golf, and uh, the game of golf is better uh, because it's got the one and only Larson Segerdahl. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, I, yeah. Look, you, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, the athletes are great. The young athletes. Uh, not only are they young and marketable and great golfers they're just good people and uh i think that's one thing that golf has benefited from greatly that largely the the athletes in our sport are just really good guys they get it um they understand what it means to sort of give back uh you know they're out week in and week out playing for their livelihoods so i don't think they take anything for granted um from that respect and so uh, being able to to be a part of it and uh, you know be uh, be one of the the several carnival barkers on, on the <laughs> tour uh, has been uh, has been a privilege and and hopefully I'll be able to to be a part of it for uh, many years to come. Uh, you're doing you're doing wonderful. It was so good to uh, catch up with you um, and uh, love what you're doing. And uh, I'll be waiting for my uh, exemption uh, letter in the mail. And uh, I'll see you in San Antonio uh, on the practice round. Right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I, I, don't uh, don't hold your breath for that letter, but uh, uh, but hopefully we'll get to see you down here at some point uh, in the future. And uh, congrats to you and and everything you guys got going with the Paw Sox, the new stadium everything else uh it's exciting stuff in your world too well uh we appreciate it and uh thanks a million again for doing it uh uh the cuban missile everybody so larson thanks again buddy (laughs) thanks take care rob have a happy thanksgiving you too